Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today, I'm privileged to welcome not just a very successful professional from the corporate world, but an adventurer, Dhruv Bogra. Dhruv, welcome to the show. Hello, Ashutosh. Very happy and privileged to be here on your show as well. Thank you. Dhruv is the country manager India for an Australian brand called Forever New. He's worked for Adidas, bestseller retail, Titan and Levi Strauss. He's an author uh, of a book titled Grit, Gravel and Gear. And we'll talk about this. And he's traveled solo on a bicycle across 15,000 kilometers across 10 countries. So Dhruv, tell me, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career? I would say definitely, uh, I've been in the retail industry now for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say that one of the uh, companies that really laid the foundation for me in retail and uh, got me all passionate about passion was Levi Strauss. Mm-hmm. So I started with them in 96. Of course, prior to that, I'd already put in four or five years, uh, first with Tata Tea and then uh, with uh, FMCG companies like mm-hmm. uh, L'Oreal, Garnier Division and 3M. Mm-hmm. Each of these companies was pivotal in my career. So very you know, unfair to say that Levi's was a milestone because possibly in my career, Tata T was the first one. Mm-hmm. But uh, from a retail fashion industry perspective, Levi's was the one that was really passionate. Uh, the whole concept of how a brand is built, mm-hmm. what is brand architecture, what is the soul of a brand? I think mm-hmm. uh, I was very young in my career at that point in time, but the mm-hmm. concept of the soul of the brand has stuck with me since then. And no other brand comes close to encapsulating that concept uh, like, like Levi's. And the second was, of course, Titan, because Titan uh, gave me an opportunity to head a very large retail business mm-hmm. and uh, actually take it to the next level. So they mm-hmm. gave me that opportunity, that platform to create something new and beautiful. And I would say a very big milestone uh, in my career right now is forever new. Okay. Uh, it's it's a young brand. It's it's a it's not a very uh, big company. It's a small mm-hmm. company, but making a big splash in a very aggressive, very competitive fashion space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, there are tremendous Fantastic. learnings, and that's why I call them milestones because the learnings are very deep. Very interesting. So Dhruv, now let's talk about Forever New. Uh, tell me about the, this brand and uh, the range of products that you have. Well, uh, Forever New is was born in Melbourne in Australia, mm-hmm. and it's been in India for about fourteen years. Okay, uh, it, it's it's a boutique brand. Uh, it's 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 a women's fashion brand uh, in the waist to luxury segment, mm-hmm. and we retail and uh, market uh, women's Western wear, uh, specifically event dresses, which is our pinnacle mm-hmm. product. But other than that, we also make uh, day wear, evening dresses, tops. Uh, we have accessories like handbags, accessories, mm. uh, like jewelry. So yes, it's a comprehensive women's brand, mm. but uh, a best to luxury segment brand are known and uh, envied for its styling and fabric okay. uh, and its designs and quality. So we have a very large following of uh, dedicated, converted, addicted, uh, affectionate consumers, about 300 to 400,000 of them who are a loyalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, repeats are very high in the range of 55-60%. Uh, that is both uh, a feather in a cap and also mm-hmm. uh, something that we need to work on mm-hmm. uh, to sort of grow up market base. Okay. 
So that's what we are currently doing. Wonderful. And do you have your own uh, uh, stores, boutiques, or do you sell online? So we have forty-six uh, stores across the country and another thirty concessions. So total, we have about seventy-five doors. Okay. Uh, these are our own stores, so we don't franchise. Uh, these are owned and operated by the organization, uh, and uh, we sell online as well. Mintra, Ajio, uh, Nike are our key partners. We also mm-hmm. have our own e-com site called we call it Pinnacle. Mm-hmm. So yes, we do a lot of business from there. We have a loyalty program as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have about three hundred thousand loyalty members, okay. and they are fairly active. Yes, wonderful. So you know, you have spent a lot of time in uh, retail and a lot of time with big brands. My question to you is: What goes into building a successful brand? I'll talk about uh, with specifics to a retail brand sure. because in FMCG the dynamics are different. In other industries, the dynamics yeah. are different. Yeah. So, in retail, I think it's very important to obviously uh, it's basic wisdom that you need to have a great product. Number one, uh, you need to be operating in the right segment. Number so those are those are the given factors. Mm. Uh, but other than that, of course. in detail uh, distribution having the right business model a mm. uh, key to building a good brand you need to be in in, in uh, very good locations where your where your consumer target consumer shops so that's the the physical distribution part of it mm-hmm. but from a from a quality of execution from from a delivery of customer experience is very critical to have great people Hmm. i think it's it's one factor which is uh, very frequently missed by many people hmm. that they do not focus enough on building great talent within the organization and then nurturing it correct so uh, th- that is one key thing which is actually holding back a lot of retail brands mm-hmm. uh, the biggest success stories uh, and i've worked with many brands like adidas or tyson mm-hmm. or levi their key to success has always been that other than the product they focus on building and creating and nurturing great talent Mm-hmm. Both in the stores, regardless of whether they were um, company employees or franchisee employees, mm-hmm. but they saw them as human capital that that had to be grown, mm-hmm. so that the, and and they were happy, mm-hmm. so that the customer experience was enhanced. Okay. Because in retail, India is a very different economy. It's it is digital, it's going digital, but at the end of the day, brick and mortar is here to stay. It will always remain seventy to eighty percent of any brand business, and it will only grow. I feel. I think people are going to come back. uh very strongly back to brick and mortar they mm-hmm. they are completely awash with digital now Correct. nobody wants to look at a display anymore mm-hmm. so the world you know all the theories and concepts have been turned over by the pandemic mm-hmm. while digital is the only route to do business mm-hmm. in in the pandemic period but once it's over and hopefully it will be over with it in a year or two mm-hmm. people are going to come back very strongly to brick and mortar brick and mortar see a revolution and that's when you will see a fusion of the two and therefore building a great brand in today scenario is about how do you fuse the two mm. how do you bring how do you do make how do you make omni channel work for you mm. how do you fuse digital experiences with live customer experiences mm. so whether it's whatsapp shopping i'll give you an example uh during the pandemic you know uh, like i said i was talking about people people mm-hmm. have great connect with our customers right. great customer relationship experiences they have customers numbers on their phone they can pick up the phone and say ma'am we have a new dress for you Mm. and she'll just come over immediately mm. it's like that mm. so they used and leverage that that relationship to communicate to consumer saying ma'am give me a whatsapp video call correct i will come over to your home and i'll show you all the products that you've chosen and that's what we did during covid last mm. year during the lockdowns mm. 
and it it was a remarkable success it was so successful that it was 18 to 20% of a business for wow. almost 6 months wow so uh, you know building a retail brand is not fancy stuff it's about doing the basics right respecting your mm-hmm. consumer uh, give, given that that the product is great communicating effectively creating appealing brand stories and and being authentic as a brand rather than trying to be everything to everybody wonderful and you know you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that you have almost 60 to 70% repeat purchase so you know it's very about 55 to 60 55 to 60% repeat yes so you know it's very heartening for me to listen to what you're saying because uh, you're you're confident that in next one year two years retail will come back the brick and mortar stores will come back to absolutely. the bank absolutely you know, absolutely absolutely you know we put uh, and i tell you why i'm saying this uh, mm-hmm. during the period in the covid was i think the litmus test for the world in mm-hmm. a way and uh, while retail collapsed uh, in many parts of the world like the us and europe uh, in, in india it flourished actually mm-hmm. while because people indians by innately are very different mm-hmm. we are a very touch and feel society we like to love and talk and go out and do things we are a very uh, community driven country Correct. we are not individualistic in that sense you know mm. we haven't reached that stage yet maybe pockets have but mm. by and large we want to just go out and you know whether it's melas and festivals and weddings so uh, it that translates to retail as well and while we did see footfalls drop by 40 50% but the people who came back were the ones who bought a lot more uh, they were the pure shoppers so earlier there were a lot of browsers like conversions would be 10% 12% suddenly during the pandemic when the shops opened up Our conversions uh, shot up to eighteen, twenty percent, twenty-two percent. This is remarkable for a mall, actually. And uh, so I think people will come back. Uh, they miss the experience of talking, feeling the product, and generally sitting down, having a coffee, and getting out of their home. Very interesting. Uh, one more question for you on Forever New before I move to your book and your travels. Uh, this is the age group of the millennials, you know, and the Gen Zs. and they are having a significant impact in the way most companies are doing business yeah how are how are the younger generation of our country impact impacting forever new the younger generation let's talk about gen z which is sure. typically mm-hmm. 20 to 24 kind of age group they're looking for more casual product they're looking for authenticity uh, great styling and design just like millennials mm-hmm. but the difference is that while the millennials love to dress up right and go out uh then they like to dress down okay uh they're more demanding mm. in terms of value for money mm. and they want more authentic experiences they want an authentic product mm. they want value for money and they are more discerning than millennials actually okay you know they they are more pragmatic okay. in the sense that if if a product is not serving the purpose they won't buy it mm. they're not going to spend 9000 rupees on a dress just because it's forever new Mm-hmm. they're going to spend 9000 or 6000 only because they believe that it is truly world class quality and design okay and that's the the, the storytelling for that has to be very different mm-hmm. you know it can't be like i am forever new i am a pinnacle product but you know and then expect consumers to millennials would typically go for that uh, you know for that shine and you know that polish that is there but gen mm-hmm. z is a more discerning they are more pragmatic and they are the ones to watch out for because they're going to be the next wave of big consumers for wish uh, to luxury products for luxury as well fantastic. like we see in china and other countries fantastic so now let's move to through your your book grit gravel and gear 
tell me about this book and what made you write this well uh, ashutosh as we were discussing earlier um, uh, i was at the top of my career way back in 2016 mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but i realized that i had to go and really discover the true meaning and purpose of my life mm-hmm. and also i think being in sales for 25 years i think really did me in and i realized that i needed to bolt uh, my responsibilities in life are generally over my mm-hmm. daughter was settled in the us so i said uh, this is the time that i need to reclaim my own life and mm-hmm. discover the world all the beautiful places in the world that i was reading about i loved canada for its natural beauty as a child i was uh, obsessed or maybe so interested in archaeology and and especially south american because we never studied south american history in school or college mm-hmm. i was a history student in college okay. but we never studied the chinese we studied lot of other history but never south american though i was always fascinated by the maya the inca the aztec mm-hmm. civilization so i said this is what i want to do so i mm-hmm. chose this route where which took me from alaska to the, to the southernmost part of uh, south america wow i wanted to go to ushuaia and argentina mm-hmm. and i planned it to be a two year journey because that's how it normally takes on a bicycle with all your gear on it and uh, i was not in a race anything i was just mm. going to be exploring camping cooking myself and things like that so i started off from uh, dead horse which is about 400 kilometers above the arctic circle mm-hmm. uh, which is the last you can say the last road in the world mm-hmm. after that there's no road there's only the north pole after that and uh, started on a very frigid morning and mm. Over the next fifteen thousand kilometers, I went across the Arctic to Canada, to Yukon, the remotest parts of the world you can mm-hmm. imagine, mm-hmm. Uh, scrounging around for food and water every day. My needs were down to, like, where am I going to camp, cook, and eat, and where am I going to get water? That's mm-hmm. it. Those are the only human needs that I had, as down to like prehistoric man kind of a situation. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the first three months, and mm-hmm. then of course, as things, as I moved more into civilized world. i exposed myself to a lot more and mm-hmm. mexico guatemala you know nicaragua was fascinating peru was like going back to the land of my river mm-hmm. some birth must have happened there for sure mm-hmm. it's the same thing like people come to the himalayas and find something oh. i found something in the andes right so uh, when i came back i always wanted to write a book my entire life actually it was a dream mm-hmm. and i said this journey is worth you know writing about and i had no job when i came back Uh, it was very tough getting one. Uh, nobody really believed that this guy will, you know, you know, he's in a different planet altogether. Mm-hmm. He's wavered, cyclist. He's gone off. He left the industry and went away. Mm-hmm. So I was a bit of a write-off actually. Right. So nobody gave me a job for almost six months at first, mm-hmm. first, but didn't meet with any success. And I said, let's use this space productively and write a book. You know, so okay. I used to write two, two, three hours every day. Mm-hmm. It's a four hundred page book with maps and pictures and diagrams and references. Wow. And I. Put my heart and soul into it, and it's done very well. It was mm-hmm. published by Crossword, mm-hmm. uh, which is owned by Shopper Stop, yeah. the Rage Group, and it did very well. Uh, it sold a lot of copies. Uh, it's got very good reviews uh, mm-hmm. from anyone and anyone who's read the book. And I wanted to tell the story, not like my story, but the story mm-hmm. of the world and what I learned from it, mm-hmm. and uh, to showcase to people that there is more to life. in just our own country and what we see of other countries is not what they really are and there is a deeper culture deeper civilization their histories which we must really know about and i wanted to also highlight a bit about the indigenous people which i have in my book uh, the destruction brought upon them the climate change that is happening 
these uh, these issues became very big ones for me mm-hmm. uh, while I was on the journey. Yes. Incredible, incredible. And you know, when you were first, tell me, how did you prepare for such a you know grueling kind of a long journey? Yeah, I mean, I started cycling seriously, like an adventure cycling in 2012. Hmm. Uh, and I did Manali Khadungla with a group of people. Then I went off on a lot of solo expeditions for three days, five days, which are right in the second book, which is away, mm-hmm. which is also available. And uh, I talk about those micro adventures and that kind of chiseled me into becoming stronger and stronger physically mm-hmm. uh, in term- and mentally. I think the main thing is mentally. Because yeah. When you're mid 40s, you're pushing up a high altitude mountain. I'm not a very muscular guy, I'm a regular mm-hmm. plane chapter kind of fellow. But uh, I think it all, in my case, it was all mental. Mm-hmm. And I was able to push myself to do many journeys. And I said, let me do this journey. But it took me about a year and a half to identify and then start preparing. And preparation mm-hmm. was not just uh, physical preparation, it was mm-hmm. also uh, intellectual in terms of blogs, routes, how to read a map, how to cook. What kind of tent to source? It took me three months to find the tent. It took mm-hmm. me five months to get a bicycle which could mm-hmm. do this journey. None of it is available in India. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd never been on an expedition for more than two days or three days on my own. Mm-hmm. So here I was going into the most dangerous road in the world. Actually, the first thousand kilometers was going to be whether I will I live or will I die. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, there was no there was no guarantee that I will come back alive. Wow. Uh, in fact, I I wrote my will. I and all that kind of stuff happened. And uh, when my parents uh, saw me off, my dad said, it's like me sending my son to war because I don't know whether I'll see him alive or not. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was the seriousness of the situation. So mm-hmm. I had to prepare how to survive in the wild. These are things corporate life doesn't prepare you for. Correct. And nobody prepares you. So I had a few adventure friends who owned a few companies. And one of them was the gentleman who owned the company called Aquaterra. And his team trained me for on a couple of trips. Mm-hmm. on camping, uh, lighting fires, and things like that. Uh, plus, I went for a trip to Alaska a year before mm-hmm. that to understand what it means to be in the Arctic, in the Alpine, mm-hmm. and uh, how to deal with bears, uh, how to cook and camp on your own. So I learned a lot of basic survival skills from mm-hmm. those guys as well. Uh, and I got a feel of the land from where I was going to start. Okay. Uh, so yes. Uh, it involved a lot of preparation, you know, I mean, every day to map out a 24,000 kilometer journey. Uh, you don't know where you're going to camp, cook, how much can you carry? Everything is linked to each other. Correct. Here you're going to carry because the weather changes across all these time zones mm. and different parts of the year. You can't carry everything with you. Sure. So you got your tent, you got your clothing. Are you going to carry a fleece jacket? Are you going to carry a down jacket? Are you going to have a three layer tent? Are you going to have a two layer tent? Mm. Everything comes down to weight. I agree. Because I knew I could pull only 35-40 kilos. Mm. I am not such a big guy who can carry mm. 60 kilos on his bicycle. I knew my limitations. Mm. So I had to plan for gear also that was light, effective, mm. and would keep me dry, you know, uh, and stuff like that. So dry and warm in a you know in a cold situation or a rainy situation. And I faced everything: uh, blizzards. I faced uh, hailstorms. On the bicycle, rain almost every day on the west coast in the month of October. Mm-hmm. So I never knew about a thing called a Pacific Northwest monsoon. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know there were monsoons in the US. Right. So it is, and it, it rains like crazy, like it does in Kerala. It's like mm-hmm. incredible. Amazing. So, and now, from a from a, uh, let me ask you to wear your corporate hat and ask you what were some of your key learnings from an expedition like this for corporate life or general? Yeah, for for life in general. 
I think it's very important to uh, follow your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear about it all the time, but it's a different matter altogether to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's important, and it's important to listen to that voice inside you, mm-hmm. which is telling you to do something, and you keep putting it off. So don't put it off. Okay. Number one. Uh, number two, I think the quality of grit is underrated. It's mm-hmm. Perhaps for me, the most important quality that I discovered on this trip. Uh, I believe uh, I was able to achieve something that was uh, for myself mm-hmm. uh, that I never thought I could do. Mm-hmm. So when I look back, uh, I'm amazed at mm-hmm. what is possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, three, I think it's very important to understand that you're just a microcosm organism in the universe. And uh, so keep your ego under control, be humble, and uh, really truly understand that you're an insignificant part of mankind mm-hmm. uh, and you but you still need to do what you need to do mm-hmm. which is your karma your dharma and uh, you also need to do the best you can for yourself mm-hmm. i think we forget ourselves in this race of life and some of us believe that my biggest learnings which i share with others is young people especially mm-hmm. is, uh, when they're confused about what they want to do and i tell them that Go back, close your eyes, and think. When you were fourteen years old, what did you want to do in life? Correct. Before you fell in love, mm. before you got corrupted by distractions in life, mm. your when your mind was young and innocent, what did you really want to do? Mm. And uh, you will find your answer. And then do that. Don't go after money; it will come. Don't go after comforts; they will come. They will always be struggle. So if you embrace struggle and hardship, you're going to be fine. But mm. if you fight it, you'll always be unhappy. So uh, it seems to work, and it, it worked for me finally because um, I did what I wanted to do. Wonderful. Or I was distracted by the various things in life that I agree with. Any conditions you also thought. I mean, yeah. we, we. I'm not a retail corporate guy. Let mm. me be honest about mm. it. Okay? But I made the best of it, mm. and I chose to excel in it. But my true heart, if you ask me, was possibly I should have been an archaeologist or something or an explorer yeah. <laughs> when I was twenty years old. Well, you're young enough. You who knows? You can discover a new passion and. Yeah. Well, I'm still doing that. I'm still writing about stuff and you know exploring mm. and yes. and uh, learning how to be a better photographer. Fantastic. But uh, yes, uh, it's never too late in life. Thank you. And uh, that you I have agree to with balance. You. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to balance everything. Just yeah. like you're doing. I mean, you're doing this great show. I mean, it's obviously a passion. <laughs> I'm talking to people, and maybe you wanted to do it 20 years ago, but your job, responsibilities didn't allow you to. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? So I've got now time for two more questions, and I'm going to ask you yes. these questions, which are some uh, personal questions for you. My first question is that uh, you know you've done this absolutely incredible journey, um, and you are running an interesting brand. Who or what inspires you? Uh, I think what inspires me at different points in time are different people. Uh, for some reason, different people's journeys or experiences in life come up, mm-hmm. uh, and I read about them, uh, and they come and they go, and they come in at the right time. So another kind of person who would say, you know, uh, Mahatma Gandhi inspires me. Of course, he does. He's my mm-hmm. idol, mm-hmm. or a Nelson Mandela, but or a Martin Luther King. These are all people I keep reading about. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the day-to-day people who, people, ordinary people who tell their stories. I mean, like for example, very recently, just a month ago, I read a book by uh, there's a mountaineer called Nimsdai uh, Puja, and he is the only mountaineer in the world to have climbed all the 
the seven summits in a flat eight months mm. and he broke a record with somebody had climbed it over eight years or mm. nine years so and he's written a book called beyond possible mm. so at each point in time there is somebody who comes in as a role model who does something amazing in life mm. and uh, who pushes you to think about the next level you can go to or how mm. to tap your unlimited potential right so various people have come in you know whether it was robin sharma's talks mm. in the mid 2000s you know he influenced my life a lot or whether it was tony robbins mm. um whatever it is these guys are powerful talkers whether they live that talk or not i don't know but Correct. they 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 infuse in you a certain way of thinking mm. uh, and at least for me it worked because it gave me a lot to think and ponder about but yes from a core value system point of view i would say uh, if i had to really remain calm and you know uh, be uh, still mm. i think i would definitely I look back at people like martin luther king for you know going after what you love and you're passionate about or mahatma gandhi uh, for his acts of non violence kind of thing so those are strong internal internally wired concepts sure. which will never go away Sure. the others come and go and they I influence and i agree so it's it's a lot like that fantastic through we run out of time so i just want to say thank you very much i mean it's been such a thank pleasure you. speaking to you i just loved the way you narrated so simply this incredible 15 or 20000 kilometer journey that you undertook which i don't think too many people can even dream about but uh, thank you thank you again and good luck and i'm sure there are more cycling trips coming up in other continents but yeah, good luck sure. to you thank you again <laughs> thank you ashutosh thank you for this lovely talk thank, thank you, you. thank you for listening to the brand called you video cast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals you can also follow us on youtube facebook instagram and twitter just search for the brand called you